Hallelujah. Uh, we're in this series of teaching called Relationships and Revival. And uh, if you remember, the thing that sort of catalyzed this was I was talking to my friend Brian, who pastors in North Carolina, and he was telling me that uh, he read this story about the Azusa Street Revival, and that one of the things that caused that to come to an end was that the, the church secretary had a falling out with the leadership, and she took the mailing list when she left. Uh, and that, they didn't have Facebook and all this stuff, and so they couldn't communicate with their people to let them know the meetings were still going on and the things died out. And I thought how distressing that was. And it just shows that so much of what God wants to do is wrapped up in relationships, and relationships that fragment and that are broken, they can hinder the plan of God in the earth. How many of you understand that? And so I, I want to see heaven come to earth. I want to see... Uh, revival and miracles and people come to know the Lord and all these kinds of things. And what I've come to understand more and more is that so much of that is hinges upon how we can relate to one another in the church in a positive way. Jesus actually said that, we would, uh, that the world would know that we are Christians by our love for who? Each other. You'd think it'd be for them. Right? But the, the challenge is that a lot of times we, we're able to look out at people in the world and think, well, they don't know any better. It's easy to love them, but your, your person filling the pew next to you, we don't have pews anymore, thank God, but, but the person next to you, you might, you might think, well, they're a Christian, they ought to know better. And uh, we tend to sometimes have more grace for people outside the church than people within. And, and Jesus said that we ought not do that. In fact, if we love people in the church, we'll be a testimony of, of what heaven looks like and will draw people to us. So uh, I want to continue in that vein and I want to talk to you about confrontation for the next two weeks, which is not the most fun topic. Uh, in fact, if you like to do confrontation, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> as we'll talk about in a minute uh, and mostly next week. This week I'm going to talk about how to do it the wrong way <laughs> and then we'll you have to come back next week and we'll talk about how to do it the right way. All right, and I'm not by any means an expert on this, um, but I have been in many <laughs> rather intense conversations through the years. I've helped mediate a lot of uh, disagreements and um, read some books. Plus, I've been married for 13 years. And uh, uh, Smalley and I have had to do lots of confrontation in order to have a good marriage. And... Um, I want to show you this concept. We're not going to go to all this scripture just for the sake of time. But at Mount Sinai, something interesting happened. Uh, God speaks to the entire nation of Israel, right? And he says, I want to make you a nation of priests and kings. He's saying, I want to have a personal relationship with each and every one of you. And the nation of Israel, what did they respond? How many, do you know? They hear God speak for a little bit, and then they say to Moses, uh, we don't want to talk to God. You go talk to God for us. It's scary to talk to God. They say, we don't, we don't want to have a face-to-face -face relationship. They reject that, and they institute a priesthood, not of everybody, but of individuals. And part of this priesthood was the thing called the Mosaic Law, and the law is a list of rules. And what we need to understand is that the more rules you have in an environment, the less need you have 
for personal confrontation and, and personal relationship. The reason is that uh, if you have a whole bunch of rules, what you do is you end up just pointing people to their relationship with the rules, not to other people. This is what happens when the police officer pulls you over for speeding. If, if the police officer was dealing with people the way that we should in the New Testament, what he would do is he would, he would pull you over and then he would get like me and my kids to come and he would say, now look, if you're speeding through my neighborhood, he'll say, now look, uh, Max lives here and he's got these three kids and they could run out in the street at any time. You can't be driving 100 miles an hour down here because, because it's dangerous. And then they'd get somebody else that had a 16-year-old, and they'd be like, look, this 16-year-old's trying to learn how to drive, and you're driving like a crazy person, and this damages this person's ability to drive right. It's not safe. You could hurt somebody. They'd confront them relationally. But that's not what they do. Why not? Well, because to have a conversation with all the people that want to drive 100 miles an hour, that's, you can't do that. It's ridiculous. There needs to be some rules. So you just have a rule and you just say, look, you can't, you can't drive that fast. And when the police officer pulls you over, he doesn't talk to you about your relationship to me or your relationship to the community or whatever. What he says is, you broke the law. The law. You, you violated your relationship with the law. And then you get a ticket. Right? So if you have rules, then you have to have compliance officers to keep you following the rules. If you swap that and you decrease the number of rules, you increase the need for personal confrontation. Everybody with me? <laughs> so, <laughs> in, the, in the New Testament, what, is, what does God say? He says, I'm, I'm not going to have this external thing anymore where there's a whole bunch of rules. He says, I'm going, in Jeremiah, in uh, Hebrews 8, he says, I'm going to move the covenant to the inside of people and I'm going to have a personal relationship with everybody. Everybody's going to be a priest. Everybody's going to be a king. Everybody's going to be able to talk to the Lord. The movement from the Old Testament to the New Testament, a huge portion of that is a movement from external regulation to internal uh, relationship with God. So what does Jesus tell us to do? He, he likes this. Is, now, again, sometimes we, in society we've got to have certain rules, all right? But like in Molly and I's interpersonal relationship, we don't have a bunch of rules. We don't have like be home at this time or, or you know, only spend X amount of money or whatever. What, what we've got is a personal relationship. And if, if we end up hurting one another, which, which happens... What we're required to do is, is discuss the thing in relationship, not just look at what the rules say. Because frankly, there isn't one. Well, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, if your brother shall trespass against you, if, if somebody hurts you, go and create a system of rules so it doesn't happen again. Oh, uh, it doesn't say that. All right. If your brother trespasses against you, go and complain to the pastor. <laughs> Doesn't say that either. It says, says, if your brother trespasses against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
What's that mean? It means that when we're, when we're hurt or when somebody violates our values and we're in a grace-based environment, we're, we're required to do confrontation. We're required to talk to them about it. And that's hard. It's not fun. We don't like it. And that's why people like rules. I'm serious. You know, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, why do people flock to extremely legalistic environments? Well, one of the reasons is you don't have to have relationship with anybody in that kind of environment. You know, and so what, what you know, Molly and I, we don't have any recourse because we don't have any rules. So the only thing we can do <laughs> is, is just talk to each other. So when something goes wrong, you don't want to disengage from the relationship. You don't want to go complain to other people and you don't want to institute a whole slew of rules. You want to go to the person and discuss the problem. Now he gives a bunch of examples of what to do after that that we can talk about later and we'll talk about next week. But I want you to understand, this is the kind of relationship that God has with us. Now, look at Psalm 32, verses 8 and verse, uh, verse 9. We'll get that up on the screen here. Uh, Jesus says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible says everybody is going to hear God and everybody can be instructed of the Lord. Everybody can have a personal relationship with God. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you know Jesus can talk to you? Jesus can help you? All right. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you, and I will guide you with my eye. Yeah. Now, for a long time, I didn't understand that verse because I didn't know what, I was like, that sounds weird. And I, I was an English teacher, so I read what, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he talked about this all-seeing eyeball. And there was a picture in my book of like an eyeball on stick legs, and it's walking, you know. <laughs> so I thought maybe God's going to send his eyeball out there in front of me, and I'm supposed to, I don't know what that means. What it means is this. Have face-to-face -face relationship with me. Look in my eyes. Because if you look in my eyes, you will see how your decisions affect me. Right? And so he's summoning us into personal relationship with him. And so we... we behave and we do the right thing as Christians, not because there's some external regulation controlling us, but because we're looking into dad's eyes and we want to please him. Well, that's a model for how you're supposed to do relationships interpersonally in the church and in your family. And in the next verse, it says this, don't be like a horse or a mule. <laughs> Ouch which has no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle lest they come near unto you. Okay, what he's saying is don't, don't be like a, a foolish animal that can't reason that has to be controlled by some sort of external regulation. Don't be like that. And, and what, you know, this is, this is why we do church the way that we do. We, we like to be a grace-based environment. So what we do is try to teach you about who you are in Christ, not beat you up for your, for your sin. I'm not a compliance officer. I'm not writing tickets. So what, what God wants primarily is relationship. And so he'll talk to us about our behavior, certainly, and get us figured out if we'll fellowship with him. So our job as Christians is to get people into relationship with the Father and then let him parent them. Somebody said years ago, if you catch the fish, God will clean them. 
Well, the scripture says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom or liberty. That means that in the New Testament, God is pushing for grace-based environments that require us to have personal relationship with one another. So in God, the economy of God, the way God thinks about things, He likes to lower the number of rules. <laughs> but that gives me anxiety, Pastor. Yeah. But it's what we're required to do. We're, we're supposed to figure out how to do life with each other without a bunch of rules. Why? Because the rule actually gets in between me and the other person. It creates distance. That's what the Israelites were asking for. They were afraid to be in personal relationship with God. They asked God to create distance, and so He did with the Mosaic Law. But then He fulfilled that, and He got it out of the way, and now we're face to face with our Father. Hallelujah. And we're learning to figure out how to steward well the freedom that we've been given. This is what good parenting is about. You have little kids, and they start out, you have to, you have, to have some rules with them. And, and you want to you know, you push for freedom and give them some freedom. But as they get older, you're trying to teach them how to manage more and more freedom progressively. Because when they get out of your house, they're going to have total freedom. Right? So if they haven't learned to manage any freedom while they're in your house, when they get out, they're going to they're have probably have a problem. All right, now don't beat yourself up. If, I mean, parenting's hard. You can parent really great and then your kids still go crazy. But praise God, we have promises of God that they'll come back to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we just, we just believe the promises of God. Okay, so what, what God is doing is He's saying, look, let's lower the number of rules and let's increase the amount of confrontation. Well, I like the first part. The second part... I'm not so sure about, but as Spider-Man said, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Actually, that was his Uncle Ben, but anyway. Yeah. Point number three, if you like confrontation, you're probably doing it wrong. That's one. So if you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get in somebody's face. I'm going to tell them what for. That'll, that'll be great. Uh, you're probably not doing it right. The converse side of that is sometimes people will say, well, I don't need to learn how to do confrontation, Pastor, because I'm a Christian and I just forgive everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not sure that you do <laughs> because I'm a pastor and I've talked to lots of people, but... But even if, you, even if you are just a really great Christian, you're a mature Christian, and you just forgive everybody, here's something to think about. If, if you refuse to do confrontation and you think, well, I'm fine because I've forgiven them, who's the only person you're thinking about? You. And what you need to understand is that if another person hurt you, they may have behaviors that they need feedback about so that they can adapt. And if you refuse to give anybody in your life feedback, you will limit their potential. Now, it's hard. I mean, I don't, I don't like telling, giving people feedback, but, but we need to learn how to do it yes. because we love people. All right? So the problem with confrontation and the reason that we don't like to do it is, frankly, it's because we're really bad at it. 
And, and, and so we don't want to do it, and that's why we like rules. And so uh, I'm going to talk to you today about how we, how we do it poorly so then we can figure out how to fix it next week. So the first thing you got to understand about any situation is you got to have a clear goal, right? If you don't know what you're trying to achieve, then your likelihood of achieving it is, is not very good. What's the goal of confrontation? The goal of doing confrontation well is to strengthen a relationship. If I do confrontation right, at the end of it, even though it's stressful, at the end of it, my bond with that other person will be closer than it was at the beginning. This means that if I'm trying to confront my wife or somebody I love or my kids or whatever, I'm trying to move towards them, not away from them. Emotionally and physically. Now the reason that's really hard is what we're saying is you're trying to get closer to a person that has hurt you. That's counter to the way that you're, you're wired. And you need to understand a little bit, I think it helps a little bit to understand your physiology. And, uh, you know, you have this thing in your, in your body called the fight or flight reflex. How many of you remember that? And that thing was really useful for a long time and still is. You know, some people love to go out and hunt and do, you know, my, my brother-in-law, he went to, to Montana and was like hunting this elk in the middle of nowhere and, you know, just, he's, a, he's a wild man. He's out there. He tried to, they killed a bear, you know out in the middle of nowhere. So if you're doing that and a bear comes up at you, you know, the fight or flight reflex is really helpful. <laughs> That's what it's there for. The problem is that, that uh, most of us do not encounter life and death situations in an everyday basis, right? But your brain doesn't know the difference. And when somebody comes to you and starts saying mean things to you, or you have to do a confrontation, your, your cortisol in your brain is going to spike, your adrenaline is going to spike, and what happens is that your, the front part of your brain where all your smarts are, it shuts down. <laughs> I learned that word in college. No, it, uh, no the, the, your, you know, the, the advanced part of your brain, it shuts down and you're left with like your brain stem or whatever, and you think, I either need to fight this person or I need to run away from them or I just freeze up. So we'll talk about how to kind of overcome that um, next week. But, uh, but anyway, when, when we have this fight or flight reflex and we have uh, people hurting us, what we think is, what we naturally think is not, I need to connect with this person more, it's, it's I need to get away from them. And more than that, it's, this person's hurting me, they're doing something I don't like, they're scaring me, they're, vi they're va violating my values, whatever. What I've got to do, I've got to reach out and control them somehow. Yes. And this is what we do in confrontation when we do it poorly. So there's three poor ways that we do confrontation and they're tied to our fight or flight reflex. So the, the first way is called aggressive communication. This is the fight reflex. So hopefully you don't punch somebody out, but, but if you did, that would be an example of aggressive communication. But most of us, most of us, when somebody hurts us, you know, the waiter doesn't treat you right or whatever, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to say something. You're a terrible waiter. 
Okay, or you, you know, or you're gonna you're gonna yell at your spouse, or you're gonna puff your chest out, or you're gonna stomp, you're gonna throw something, whatever. Aggressive communication is me using my anger to reach out and try to control you. Why? Because you've hurt me and I'm scared of you, and, and really what I'm trying to do is create distance. Now, what's the goal of confrontation if I do it well? It's closeness. So if I'm doing aggressive communication, I'm violating the, the, the goal. Hello. So, is aggressive communication a healthy way to relate to somebody? No, it's not. Now, some of you, that may have been the only thing that you've seen modeled in your family. You don't have to raise your hand, but there's probably some of you that that's, that's how mom and dad resolved all their issues, was yelling at each other. And that's okay. God loves you. God loves them. God's not mad at anybody. But, but just because I saw something modeled doesn't mean I have to take it into my life presently. And I need to recognize in my own, own life unhealthy ways of doing things so that I can repent and change what I'm, what I'm doing. So aggressive communication. Um, I'll give you this example. I uh, counseled this couple one time. Nobody here knows who this is. This was back in Colorado. I always try to use examples from back there so that nobody knows who I'm talking about. So um, I counseled this couple one time, and the guy and the gal were there in, in uh, counseling with me. And the guy starts to say, well, you know, uh, my wife, she, she doesn't let me have an opinion. And when I start to say what I'm thinking about, she just quotes scripture at me. And, and uh, while he's saying this, she starts to say, yeah, but, but this scripture says blank. And, 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 she, and she starts aggressively quoting scripture at this guy. And you got to understand my background, where I come from, man, the best thing to do is quote scripture. And so she had it in her head that it's okay to aggressively quote scripture at my husband. Now the Bible's great, I love the Bible, but what she was doing was using the Bible to get her husband to shut up. <laughs> because she was scared of what he was gonna say. Is that too real? So she, that's what she was doing. She was reaching out aggressively with her anger and trying to control him because she was afraid of what, what he might say, because what he had to say was painful to her. All right? So, it's hard, but we can't do that. All right, the next one is the opposite, the passive communication. This is your flight reflex. And this is when you create distance between you and the other person um, uh, by, by withdrawing from them emotionally. So it's not, I'm going to fight you, it's, it's I'm going to go in the other room and... and give you the cold shoulder. I'm going to withdraw from you emotionally. What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Can you please tell me? No, you need to guess. No. <laughs> Passive communication uh, 
it's, it's, again, it's me trying to reach out and control the other person, but I'm not doing it aggressively. I'm doing it by withdrawing. I'm punishing you with, with distance until you straighten up. Or, if you're like me, I was, a, I was a terrible passive communicator in my marriage. You take your pain and you stuff it in here. And you tell yourself that's heroic. You say, I'm going to take one for the team and not communicate my pain. But when you do that, you rob the person you love of valuable information that they need to know in order to love you better. I had to repent. I thought I was being heroic. What I was doing was good. And not putting faith in my wife to uh, understand where I was coming from. And uh, so anyway, don't do that. So we were both kind of passive communicators. So just because if you're both passive communicators, it'll look like from the outside that you never fight because nobody's ever yelling. But if you're not talking either... <laughs> <laughs> That's not good, okay? And then the third type is passive-aggressive communication. And this is when we really want to be an aggressive communicator, but we're smarter than the aggressive communicator, and so we do it from cover. So an aggressive communicator is like somebody that takes a ball bat and is about to go, go do some business. A passive-aggressive communicator gets the sniper rifle, puts on the ghillie suit, and waits for the right moment. Bam! Sarcastic comment. And they're like, ugh, what hit me? Passive-aggressive communication, it's not, it's not healthy. I tried to, this is a little harder to understand, I think, so... So I gave you some examples. So a wife might feel like her husband is spending more time with his friends than with her. There's a typo, sorry. So she says, well, I'm glad somebody's getting to spend time with you. <laughs> what should she say? Well, we'll talk about that next week. Um, or conversely, a husband feels like his wife isn't contributing enough to the family finances. Well, I hope you're enjoying those new shoes. I worked 15 hours of overtime this week. Passive-aggressive. It's not good. I'm trying to point this stuff out so that you can, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but you should be like, oh, yeah, that's me every now and then. All right, I, I do that. Okay, that's why it's, that's why it's funny because it's like, Ugh. you know, a, a, another trick passive-aggressive communicators sometimes will do, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just trying to be real, is you'll say something uh, aggressive and mean-sounding and then laugh afterwards as, as if it's a joke. What I mean by that? Well, you're doing a terrible job. Ah! <laughs> it's funny, you know. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm sniping. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting you and then I'm ducking undercover. Tag, no tag backs. <laughs> or you act like everything is okay and then you, you, know, you go do something <laughs> aggressive like throw out their favorite outfit or something. Now, look, I, I know I used a lot of marriage examples, but this, this goes on in, in our workplaces. How many of you, 
notion of passive-aggressive communicators in your, in your workplace. <laughs> There's aggressive communicators in your workplace. There's passive communicators in your workplace. And um, sometimes the thing to do is just refer them to the rules because that's uh, the way your workplace works. But other times you have to learn how to do confrontation. You have to deal with different people. You have to deal with, with uh, our kids. Molly and I work hard. You know, we, we find ourselves sometimes passively, aggressively communicating to our kids. You know, like, boy, this room sure was clean a minute ago. <laughs> What's that? What's well, passive? It's me being passive aggressive. <laughs> it's, it's, I need to not do that, particularly because they don't really understand sarcasm. So, <laughs> so what's the point? The point is uh, we've got we've to figure out how to do this thing well, and, and these three types of, of communication are, are unhealthy. They all, they all end up separating me from the people that I need to be in relationship with. And if I want the kingdom to advance, if I want uh, uh, to have healthy relationships with, with my loved ones or people at work or whatever, I've got to learn how to move towards people, not away from them. And we'll talk about how to do that um, next week. But here's your homework assignment. I don't always give homework assignments. But this one's a fun one. Uh, Find your favorite sitcom and go sit down with somebody uh, and, or just by yourself or whatever and watch a sitcom and identify all, the, all three negative types of communication. It's fun. You can do it. And usually if you, you know, because that's, that's how they make sitcoms work is at the beginning they create some kind of issue through poor communication, which is then resolved at the end by, by good communication, right? But if you watch it, you'll, you'll be able to identify it, and then what gets really fun is then you can see yourself doing it, and then you can repent. When you, when, you, when you see yourself doing it. So, that all right? Yeah. You've never had a pastor tell you to watch a sitcom, so watch it and don't feel, don't feel guilty. All right, let's all stand up. My prayer team could come down here. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for everybody. Is that all right? Hopefully that helps somebody. I teach this because it's real, and Molly and I, you know, we, we had to work on these things. We still don't do it perfectly, but we, we communicate a lot better than we used to, and part of it has to do with learning how to do this stuff. Uh, if my prayer team come, come down here, guys. Um, so I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here and pray with somebody. If you want to uh, be honest and, and repent, repent. Repentance does not mean to feel awful about something. You can feel awful, but feeling awful doesn't really avail anything. Uh, repentance just means you change your mind. So it's just like, well, I thought it was okay to communicate like that. Now I repent. Now I realize it's not. That's all it is. But if you want somebody to pray with you about that, you can come down and pray with the prayer minister. Molly and I will be right down here if you'd like to meet us. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a great communicator, that you're not passive-aggressive, that you're not passive, that you're not aggressive, that you know how to reveal your heart and do face-to-face -face relationship well. And Lord, let us learn from you and let us uh, model that as a church and let us communicate in healthier ways as a church family and as individuals and in our community and our workplaces. And we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. And we receive every good thing you have in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need personal prayer, come down. If you want to meet Molly and I, come down. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Have a great week.